Hey everybody, welcome to the Mic It Up podcast. Today we're going to talk about the top three threats facing the industry. You're going to want to hear these. Stick around. Welcome to Mic It Up with GoodBed.com's Jeff Cassidy. So when that's the case, it becomes harder just psychologically to make a change. And Mike Magnuson. If you're doing those things, you can be competitive long term. Just when you thought these number crunching data lovers couldn't get any nerdier, they started a podcast. And I know this is pretty controversial, but this is why we're having a podcast, right? But if you want to be smart about how the mattress shopping journey is changing and what retailers and manufacturers should be doing about it, well then, man, have you ever found your people? Because right now, it's time to mic it up. Okay, so let's, um, yeah, why don't we just welcome people to the podcast? I mean, let's do that. Mom, welcome. Jeff's mom, (laughs) Uh, welcome. We welcome them all the time. I think by this point we have at least one other person. So, hello, new person. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs> joining. <laughs> In case you're wondering if you're the new person, if you're not Carol or Jan, then you are that person. So, thanks yeah. and welcome. If you're looking around and you're not seeing one of your offspring speaking <laughs> to you on this podcast, you're the new person. <laughs> all right. Go. Today's episode is a good one. We've got a lot of content. We're probably going to split it into two episodes because we want to keep these things snack size much better and more successfully than we've been able to. But we're going to talk about these top three threats to the industry. We're going to take them pretty much, uh, I mean, they're all basically existential threats, right? But we got to take them in a certain sequence to help you kind of understand these threats. The the number one threat, you want to tell them? No, no, I want you to I want you to tell. I want you to tell. Okay. All right, I'll tell him. Maybe maybe you should use use your radio voice. <laughs> All right. Ultra cheap mattresses. Ultra cheap mattresses are the number one existential threat to the mattress industry today. Now, I get some pushback on this from people who typically say We've had ultra cheap mattresses forever. Why is that an existential threat today? Like what we've had the $200 doorbuster mattress in the window of mattress stores since the dawn of time. And what is different today about an ultra cheap mattress? Well, I would posit to you that there's something very different about today's ultra cheap mattresses, which is that by and large, the volume, the, the bulk of these mattresses are being sold online. And that's the key distinction because when you walk into a physical store, one of those that has a doorbuster in the window, and you say, I'd like to try the $199 queen, well, chances are <laughs> there's going to be somebody in that store who's going to make it very clear to you that that is the worst mattress in the store. And they're going to tell you exactly why it's the worst and why you should really be considering one of the many other choices that they offer. And that's just the reality of how doorbuster mattresses are used in a store um, and, and, uh, and, and really what they're there for. Now, it's not the, I shouldn't say that. That's not the entirety of what they're there for. They are partially there because there's a segment of the population that really that's all they can or want to spend. Um, so that's, that's part of it. But it is a critical uh, bit of context to appreciate the point that 
no doubt, even in the case of that consumer, they will be made well aware of the fact that this is the worst mattress in the store and all the reasons why the others are better. Um, now, they may still walk out with that $200 mattress, but, that's, but they will go out knowing that they bought, on purpose, the worst mattress in the store because the, for whatever reason. It was all they could afford, all they needed, whatever. Now, contrast that with the online mattresses that are sold for that price, right? Um, those mattresses, not only are there, is there not someone, when someone goes to a website and finds a mattress at that price point, not only is there not somebody there to make that case to them or to explain to them that this is the worst mattress on the website or in the store or whatever, there's, in fact, often thousands of, of reviews from consumers that are saying essentially the opposite. You know, there might be thousands of five-star reviews for that product. So not only are they not getting the impression that they're buying the worst mattress, they're getting an impression that they're buying a great mattress. And that's a completely different mindset, a completely different takeaway than we've ever had surrounding ultra-cheap mattresses in this industry. And so that, you know, so, you know, so why is that threatening, right? Like that's, that's threatening because a segment of consumers is being trained to believe that they can get a high quality mattress for under $500. And that's brand new. That we've never had before in the, in the history of the mattress industry. Well, barring like the point in time inflation wise when, when that price point was maybe uh, had good mattresses. But, uh, you know, in reason, we haven't ever had ultra cheap mattresses have that takeaway. So, so that's a big problem. Uh, another big problem that, I, that we hear from our users, they sometimes say to th us things like, I, I just need a mattress for a couple of years. So I'm going to get like a cheap one on Amazon or wherever. And, you know, that's, that'll be just what I need for those two years. And then I'll just leave it there or throw it away or whatever when I move. And the point there is that there is also a segment of consumers that is being trained to think of mattresses as a disposable item. And by the way, another incarnation of that has been some people who have been burned or had a bad experience with uh, a you know a, a more traditional mattress or a higher priced mattress they've had one that got body impressions or something like that maybe they've even had multiple that have experienced that and then they're sort of in this you know twice bitten state where they go well to hell with it if the if, if the more expensive ones are only going to last me uh five years maybe i'll just get a series of these ultra cheap ones, you know, it's going to cost me the same or less in the long run to just run through these, even if they only last me two years. So they're thinking of them the way like H&M teaches you to think about shirts, you know, or, or, or whatever. Uh, it's disposable mattresses. And that's a, a very damaging thing for the industry because of the fact that obviously when you think of a product as disposable, it's the antithesis of something that you'd invest in quality. You know, you it's it's literally the opposite, basically. And so you don't invest in a disposable item, period. But it's also obviously terrible for the environment to have people developing a mindset that they can just use a mattress for a few years and throw it away and, and even consciously buy a mattress with the expectation that it should only be used for a few years is, is just a terrible thing for the environment. 
But the third thing that uh, I would just mention as to why it's a threat is is, is kind of a, a an answer to another retort I've gotten on this assertion that ultra cheap mattresses are an existential threat. Uh, people sometimes say that they're growing the category, right? That that they are expanding the market for mattresses. And I can buy into that to a degree, right? Like that there are some people who, because of the fact that they can buy a $200 mattress, maybe they're not going to take a hand-me-down mattress from their parents or a relative or what have you. But if you think about the economics of a $200 mattress versus a $1,000 mattress, I mean, the contribution margins... um, are, are not even 5x difference. They're probably more than 5x difference. The price is 5x difference, but the contribution is probably more than 5x difference in terms of the profit margins. And if you think about the, the fact that in order to make up the contribution margins lost by, one, by, by losing $1,000 mattress sale on selling $200 mattresses, you got to sell seven, you know, at least five, maybe seven, maybe more uh, of those cheap ones to make up for the one that you lost like that's a massive amount of market expansion you'd have to have for this not to be something that on a net basis is cannibalizing mm-hmm. to the industry so i don't I, I buy into it conceptually but i don't buy into it as uh, a sufficient offset to the to the point here that this uh, is ultimately a a threat here, um, and and these things are I consider these existential threats because of the fact that um, you know they they tend they, they have the potential to reframe how people think about the product, right? How and how much they're willing to spend on this product. I mean, we've been in a, the industry has been in a position where uh, average selling price points have been going up for a long time, but if consumers become trained to think of this as a disposable product that they replace every few years and they stop investing in quality, then that would completely change the economics of the business. It would completely change what products get made. It would completely um, change what price points would be, uh, you know, what, what price points people would, consumers would entertain. So it, it, it just it has the potential to radically change the industry. And I don't see a situation where that ends up being a good thing for the industry. I frankly don't see a situation where that's a good thing for consumers. And I, and I don't see any situation where that could possibly be good for the environment. So I, I see that as just a net negative all around if people end up buying bad, cheap mattresses. <laughs> in more volume, right? Uh, instead of investing in quality, instead of investing in products that that can last, um, instead of investing in products also that are going to be better for their health and their, their sleep health too. So there's just um, I see that as uh, a, a business threat, but also a threat to to the other constituencies involved here. Yeah, the the only entity for which it's a good thing is the lowest cost producer of cheap mattresses that's, that's the, true ultimately the only ones who win, only one who wins in that scenario yeah and the purveyor i guess of those like the lowest cost purveyor of those mm-hmm. also but yeah. but yeah to your point even even purveyors and manufacturers of those products uh if they're not the lowest cost one even they in the long run are not benefiting from this right they're gonna lose it's this goes to a lowest cost player on the on the manufacturing and retailer side 
Right. Period. It, that's it. Just typical commodity industry. If that's if yep. that's what happens. Yep. And the market size for sure shrinks. Mm-hmm. If this become like like we've never had in my time in the industry, we've never seen the market size shrink. Like, but this is the kind of thing that could take us from sixteen billion, cutting in half. I mean, mm-hmm. this this could wipe just billions out of the market size of this industry in a in a heartbeat. So that that's a big existential threat. Now, um, the second existential threat is closely related to this, obviously, um, because the second threat is is Amazon, and I call them out specifically because of the fact that uh, obviously they are the largest purveyor of these online ultra cheap mattresses, and that in itself you know, makes, makes them part of that first threat. But I, but I consider them a, a kind of a separate threat in their own right because of the way their platform is designed. Specifically, the fact that it, it tends to be designed in such a way that products have essentially two ways to win on Amazon, price and ratings. And then in order to understand why that's so problematic, as it relates to ultra cheap mattresses, you have to kind of think a little bit about, well, what are the dynamics for an ultra cheap mattress in the ratings that it's getting? So specifically, when Amazon asks for ratings, it's typically 14, 30, something like that days, you know, within a, within a matter of a few weeks after you have received the product very, very early in its lifetime. So from the standpoint of an ultra cheap mattress, it's long before any of the quality shortcomings in that mattress are going to necessarily reveal themselves. And so that's one thing, is that those reviews are coming before the quality. It's not like a toaster where maybe the flimsy parts are just gonna like break when you pull it out of the box. It's it's a soft good. So. It's, it's going to take longer to reveal its, its quality shortcomings um, for the foam to break down or what have you. But the, uh, but the other part is that those people who buy an ultra-cheap mattress, and this probably is true across other buyers in other categories, when you, have, when you buy a cheaper product, you tend to have lower expectations. right? So you're essentially an easier grader. And, and particularly with it, when it comes to mattresses, there's a segment of the population that is, and this is unique to mattresses uh, from other products, there's a segment of the population who we call invincibles, right? They're the people who could sleep on anything. And they kind of know that about themselves. They skew young, they skew male. I used to be one. And, and you, so... You, you used to be male? Or... <laughs> <laughs> I used to be young. You used to be young, um, yeah. <laughs> got it, got it. But uh, I also used to be a quote unquote invincible as it relates to my sleeping. I could sleep on anything, the floor, whatever. It just so I knew that about myself and as a result, there wasn't really a lot of value in my mind to spending up on uh, for a good mattress because whatever, I can sleep on anything. And if I know that about myself, then I get the mattress and sure enough, I can sleep on it. Well, again, that's like an easy grade, right? Like, so, so the people who are invincibles are more likely to be the ones who are buying these products, who are like, I don't want anything. I don't want to spend more than 200 bucks, so I'll go on Amazon and just get whatever they have for 200 bucks, and that's what I'll sleep on. So they, they, there's a self-selection bias in terms of who's buying these things, and the fact that they're not only easier graders because they had lower expectations 
from it being an inexpensive product, but they're also easier graders just naturally as it relates to mattresses because they skewed towards this invincible category. Um, and on top of that, they're grading it at a point in time where it really, they don't have almost, they have almost nothing to go on except for the fact that they opened it up and yep, it's a mattress. <laughs> so right. it met all my expectations. It was cheap and it's a mattress. Five stars. That's mm -hmm. it. So that's what happens is these, these cheap mattresses get great ratings just structurally, just because of how the rating system is designed and because of the nature of this particular product category. And that's not an accurate representation of the quality of those products relative to other products on the market. And so people get, people get a mistaken idea, essentially. They get, a, they get an inflated sense of the quality uh, of these products on Amazon. And then fundamentally, that becomes a particular problem when we go back to this point that there are only two ways to win on Amazon, price and ratings. Because if the cheap products have great ratings structurally, well then, what room is there for a, a, a more expensive or just not cheap product, right? You can have great ratings. You can, you can still try to go get great ratings and maybe you succeed and you have great ratings. But that only brings you to parity with the cheap ones on that, on that front. So you're still looking like, okay, they both have great ratings and one's expensive and one's cheap. Well, guess what? The cheap one's going to still win that. And as a result, if, if the cheap products get great ratings, then you pretty much have to be cheap. There's no room for anything except being cheap. And that's why what we see on Amazon is that apart from products that are developing brands outside of Amazon, you know, that are they're really like they're building their brands through marketing and, and, and things that they're doing off of Amazon, I think that a lot of the brands that are succeeding on Amazon are falling into that category of the ultra cheap mattress. Um, mm -hmm. That's one thing. That's one thing I would say that um, it, it's not something that Amazon does to help take advantage of what you just described is is something that uh, other brands can do more than they are today, which is they ask every single customer for a review. So more traditional brands, it, they haven't have it had a good way and it hasn't been as much of a priority to ask every single customer for a review. So Amazon has those advantages that you said, and they also do one best practice, which is make it ask every single customer and make it easy for them to, to submit one. A hundred percent. Yeah, they do a great job with that. And that is something that for sure other retailers can learn from Amazon and should learn from Amazon. In fact, I'll tease this out that we've got some stuff coming down the pike where we can help retailers with that, actually. We can help you get more reviews of your products. So um, stay tuned for more on that. That's something that we are actively working on and that has actually come directly from requests from retailers to us. So um, we're, we're super excited about that. Um, but, uh, but, but just to go back to the, the Amazon um, why we call it, uh, why we think of it as a unique, and a unique and distinct threat, it comes back to that those dynamics of price and ratings, and 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 ultra cheap mattresses getting high ratings, and therefore there being no room for anything but cheap mattresses. And essentially, the the net net of all that is that the way the platform is designed, irrespective of the fact that there are a lot of ultra cheap mattresses 
irrespective of that, it's designed in a way that it is fundamentally a race to the bottom. So it's it's sort of like it's no coincidence that there's a bunch of ultra cheap mattresses selling gangbusters on Amazon. That is a direct result of how the platform is fundamentally designed. It was the only ultimate outcome that could happen. It really was the only way that that story could have played out. There's no other way that it was always going to be the cheapest mattresses that sell the most. And we just maybe we didn't know how cheap mattresses could get. <laughs> but but mm. we knew that for sure the mattresses that were going to move the most on Amazon were going to be those just ba- just by virtue of how their platform is designed and that in itself just given Amazon's overall market power i believe makes them a unique and distinct threat to the mattress industry and that's only increased given the prominence that the Amazon plays in all our lives during covid right it's only it's only accelerating exactly so, so those are the first two threats. The third threat is a, a bit of a different uh, breed. And, and, and this is one that uh, those of you who have not heard me speak before are going to be um, maybe surprised about. Wait, but the wait. third threat is... Sorry. Let's hold that. Let's hold that thought. Okay. And let's talk not about that. Not even tease it out. Not even... not even tease it out. All right. Listen to listen to the next episode, Mom. And now, Mom, you're dying right now. You're dying. No. You don't know what the third threat is. You have no idea. Yeah. Oh my That's gosh. That's all right. She's gonna there's be going gonna be crazy. Another, there's gonna be another new listener next time. Oh my uh, gosh. So come come back come back to the uh, to the story, the ongoing story. The uh, my history in podcasting. Okay. So yeah. Um, so the story uh, just for those who missed previous episode uh, i have a long history in the podcasting industry although this is my first podcast i sort of discovered the industry from its very infancy i was kind of anticipating the premise in 2003 and 04 when the concept was first uh when the name podcasting was first coined um i was kind of out networking with those early podcasting pioneers in that time frame um, one of whom was Adam Curry, the MTV VJ from the 1980s, who had kind of rebranded himself as a podcasting pioneer in that in that time frame. And it was it was right around then when I was out meeting these folks, Evan Williams, who went on to become the founder of Twitter, and Chris Saka, who went on to become one of the sharks on Shark Tank. We're all in part of that story in in, in the previous episode, but. What happened was I found out that Adam Curry, who had been doing a podcast of his own, which was at the time, I think, the most downloaded or, or listened to podcast of that time period uh, called The Daily Source Code. And I found out that he was looking to start a podcasting business, like a, turning that, that content, that one sort of creative episode thing that he was doing into a, an actual business. And it was going to be a podcasting platform of sorts and i found out that his business partner in that was someone who i had known from some work i had done previously when i was at time warner ventures uh working in their venture capital uh group and so i i knew his business partner and reached out to him and actually um ended up getting involved with them very early on in their thinking before they'd raised any money uh before they'd really hired much of a team and they were basically pulling together, creating a, a network of uh, a platform for podcasting uh, that was going to help uh, creators create content more effectively, help them help them distribute it, sell ads for them. It was going to be kind of an ad network type of thing. Um, so a lot of the things, by the way, that 
companies uh, in the last few years have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> doing sold to Spotify. One recently sold to Amazon. Um, but uh, this was again, this was 04, late 04. Uh, so we started talking. We actually got pretty far down the line, and I was even able to convince my partners at my my firm that I worked at, um, who who were not as digitally native as I as I was, um, but I was able to kind of give ex- explain to them my thesis for why I thought long form spoken word audio content had a really promising future, and why I thought that this was an opportunity uh, to partner with kind of the leading. Uh, at the time, certainly was the leading group of people in this space. Um, and so, and, and at the same time, we was able to convince uh, Adam and his, his business partner, Ron, that, that we were a good partner, given our expertise in the media space, including in traditional radio, uh, terrestrial radio, as well as other forms of content uh, and, and so forth. So um, able to kind of herd all those goats and signed a, a term sheet with them. This was uh, early 2005 to help them build their company. So that was, maybe when we pause the story there, but I will, I'll continue as to what, what happened from that point next time. All right, just one for the end of the snack. Are you still buddies with Adam Curry? I don't think I wanna, I don't think I wanna tease that out. I think I wanna, right. I'll leave you hanging yeah. on that one. Yeah. Now, now you have me in like a "Where are they now?" mindset. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll try not, I'll try not to Google. I'll try not to Google. Yeah, where is Adam Curry now? Don't spoil it for yourself. Yeah, I'm hoping he's a billionaire and and that I also am. We're a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got some good, tasty uh, morsels uh, for next time. Good stuff. We're going to wrap it up there. So as always, we will thank you guys for listening and we will encourage you, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and please leave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. We really appreciate it and it will help other people discover the podcast. So thanks again and mic it up. We're out.